So allow your attention to sink into your body, to relax into the experience, the physical experience of sitting. Not um, trying to have some experience, but simply allowing the attention, the mind, to come together with the physical experience that we feel in sitting. And if you're feeling not quite present or connected, as sometimes happens, beginning of a sitting, sometimes it's helpful just to very gently bring your attention to the different parts of your body, starting with your head, and allow it to relax. Not make it relax. Allow it to relax. Like, just relax the head, the face, the eyes. Just gently moving through your body with the attention. Until you come to a sense of presence sitting here on this earth. And if it's been helpful for you, from within this sense of presence with the physical experience, let your attention open to the sense of hearing. Again, not reaching out or looking for something to hear. Simply resting with open attention, receiving anything that arises at the ear door. Sounds, silence, the simplicity and receptive quality of attention we can experience in hearing. And in the same way, receiving the sensations of the body in sitting. And within that field of sensations, almost as if hearing the sensations that come with the next in-breath, the next out-breath. And letting gradually the sensations you feel naturally whether it's at the nose, the chest, the abdomen. Let the sensation of this in-breath just fill the field of awareness. Sensations of this out-breath. Whatever you're using for your primary focus. And if you've been using the mental labeling, just very softly, in, arising, but with interest, with a quality of affectionate curiosity, just feeling whatever arises quite naturally with the inner, the rising. Notice how the in-breath ends. Is there a pause or not? How does the out-breath begin? Very soft label, out, 
falling, but then feeling whatever sensations come and go that we're calling out or falling. Just the purity of the bare sensations, that's all. Just this half-breath. Noticing how the out-breath ends. If there's a pause or a gap, just noticing. If you're finding you consistently get really lost in thought at the pause, if you have a pause, then you could connect the attention in that pause with a sense of sitting, the whole body is sitting, sitting, or a touching sensation like your hands touching, your buttocks, something clear and relatively neutral. And just labeling touching, touching, feeling the sensations until you just naturally notice the next breath starting by itself. This helps to keep the moment-after-moment continuity of mindfulness growing stronger. And so while we're using, for example, the sensations of breath as the primary focus, the place to begin to collect the scattered attention to focus and steady the mind, the place to come back to when we've been lost in thought, the sensation to connect with when nothing much else seems to be happening. At the same time, we're not exclusively trying to hold on to just being with breath. So, feeling the in rising, with total attention, not looking for anything. It's not like you have half an eye out, wondering if something else is coming. Total commitment to feel this in-breath. And then quite by itself, the mind might notice hearing. A sound arises. So in that moment, not viewing it as a distraction, the sound, but give the total attention to hearing, hearing. The breath might go into the background. You may not even be aware of it in that moment. That's fine. Totally with hearing. Just noticing how it rises and falls. And as it fades, again connecting with the next sensation of breath. And in the same way, when other physical sensations naturally arise and call the attention, and you don't really have to debate with yourself, is this calling my attention or not? If you've noticed it, the attention's already there. There's actually so little we have to do. So you're aware of sensation. It may be unpleasant. It may be very unpleasant. It may be relatively neutral. It may be pleasant. It's not our job to evaluate. Simply, in the moment of noticing, acknowledge what's already happening by bringing the full, gentle, affectionate attention into that sensation, just as it is, and explore it with awareness. Notice how it behaves, this sensation. And here, if you're using the mental labeling, it can be very useful to help bring the attention into the actual experience of that sensation. So, for example a strong burning arises. Our tendency is to think, oh yes, my knee hurts. 
And we can bring attention to it, and without the labeling, we're pretty there, but they're still running in the background. My knee hurts, you know, I wonder what it means. And the labeling is all burning. There's a whole layer of concept that can drop away. Attention just sinks into burning. It's like this. Burning. Burning. Changes to throbbing. To tingling. Notice if it gets bigger or smaller, more or less intense. Goes away. Doesn't change one iota for the whole 45 minutes. With as soft and simple a mind as possible, just being there to let it live its life. As it fades, if it fades, or your attention drifts, come back again to the breath, your primary focus, to recollect and steady the attention. The same sensation or a different one may again arise, fine. You meet it fresh for the first time. That sensation may fade, another one comes. Fine, be with that. It's not that you have to get rid of the sensations to get back to the breath. So sometimes quite a few sensations. As someone said, it feels a little bit like ping pong. As long as you're connecting, you know what's happening, fine. Too many and you're feeling confused or lost. It's too fast. Fine, put it down and come back to the breath. Recollect. Re-steady. Not many sensations, fine. That's also just what's happening. Recommit to an interest in this one breath. With strong, painful sensations, if you can meet it with a soft and open quality of attention, that metta aspect of mindfulness, just accepting it as it is, the attention can explore and get quite focused with no expectation, even on difficult, unpleasant experience. Other times there's not the energy, the attention's too scattered, and the mind easily gets into reactivity, reaction. Noticed that contraction, that hardness in the mind, that's aversion, just aversion, aversion. If you can soften again into the sensation, fine. If not, Leave it for a moment, and as a, this is a choice now, as a skillful means, you come back to breath, or open to feel your whole body, so you have a more spacious quality of attention, not so contracted. And again, after some time, you may explore the painful sensation again. We learn to see the difference between unpleasant sensation and the fear and aversion in the mind. They're not the same experience. And with pleasant, of course, the same thing. Notice if we move from just being with a nice sensation to all kinds of wonderful feelings and ideas and, oh, I hope it never goes away. Oh yeah, liking, desire. Back to the simplicity of sensation. And whenever you're lost in thought, you notice thinking, thinking, no judging, just recognizing thinking is happening, and then reconnect with the sensation of the breath.
Remembering uh, at the beginning of the sittings, if you find it helpful to uh, let your attention drop into the loving-kindness. And just, this is a way to soften the heart, to be with what is. May I be happy just as I am. May I be peaceful with whatever's happening. May I love myself completely. Remembering that mindfulness is the intention to understand rather than to judge our experience. Letting the attention settle within your body and posture. Receiving the life of your body. And then receiving the silence in this room with a very open, wide field of attention. getting out of the way and just noticing any sounds or the silence coming and going without us having to do anything about it, but notice it. Knowing. Silence. and receiving the movement of the breath, its birth, its life, and its death.
<clears throat> Notice the impermanence of the movement of the breath. Because as we move on to the instruction around thoughts or emotions, it's helpful to have that sense or understanding that things are coming and going by themselves. Just like clouds passing through the sky of mind. So again, seeing if you can receive the movement of the breath, connect with it. Notice it pass away. And with the appearance of emotion, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, remembering that whatever appears has a life cycle. And it's usually when we think an emotion is permanent that we suffer. And it's helpful to have a really investigative attention with emotion. What is this emotion free from any past ideas about it? And if there's no emotion happening now, it's fine. You don't have to conjure up any. Just getting that sense that it's helpful to understand sometimes emotion appears without any content of thinking. Sometimes it's just some body sensations. Sometimes it's just a whisper of a thought. Often emotion is tricky to attend to because it's a mix of a memory, some body sensations, some thoughts. And it usually is helpful to be able to note something like fear or happiness, gratitude, loneliness, empathetic joy, anger. There's such a range, sadness or grief, compassion, loving kindness. Enthusiasm, elation, despair. And of course we know this, but it's helpful to to be reminded that when we get identified with thinking about the emotion, that we're not experiencing it. We bypass it. So it's usually when we really receive the emotion, connect with it, like the movement of the breath or a sound, that it has its own life, that we get out of the way. 
and it will appear, live, and disappear without us having to do anything with it. But notice it. Sometimes it's helpful to move away from an emotion if we're getting really lost in it. It's okay to just shift back to sound or the movement of the breath if we can't be mindful of it. That's skillful means. It's not failing. Other times, if it feels like the, inten- the emotion is <clears throat> somewhat intense, it helps to really keep up a relationship with something neutral, like the breath or sound, just to give us perspective that it is impermanent. that it will pass away. And usually it's helpful to have the attention grounded with any physical sensations that are happening corresponding with the appearance of the emotion. So we can learn to relate to pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral emotions like we would the sound of the car going by right now, or the sound of my voice, or the breath. Just be careful of not getting caught up or identified with the content of the thinking. And enjoy it if there's no storms coming through. Just settle back and do the best you can to be here, whatever is appearing. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Did you hear the question? No. Um, I'm going to try to paraphrase it. Um, the question is around knowing when it's, um, say, aversion arises and you've been pretty with the, you know, pretty much with the breath and then the thought appears and you didn't notice it, but you see that it's an aversive thought and um, how do you know at some point (laughs) if the aversion continues, right? If it continues, whether uh, it's better to go back to the breath or to stay with the aversion, right? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Um, Most of the time, which, which is interesting, if, it, if it's not clear, you know, off, I mean, the, the, it's usually sort of clear what, 
what's helpful or it isn't. And if it isn't, usually it's going to take a little longer to kind of navigate through it. So that's one thing I just want to say, that sometimes, you know, if it's clear, it's clear, right? <laughs> and that's usually not an issue. But when it, when it, when it does feel like um, the aversion is sticking around, um, I do think that often at the bottom of our difficulty with working with, say, aversion or, or attachment is, is some sort of idea that it hasn't gone away, but sometimes that's invisible. You know, so, so really um, equanimity is unconditional acceptance. Um, and if mindfulness and equanimity are there, um, usually it is a little bit clearer what to do, but just to paint that picture, that, that when there's complete acceptance, um, there's a way in which we allow the aversion to move through, and it doesn't matter to us that it lasts 15 minutes or 2 minutes or, or 20 minutes. Sometime. Or what can often happen is that we're really with it, which is what I would guess you, you know, you're describing a situation where we might be with it, we might be allowing the aversion, and then it might be that either the energy goes down a bit or the equanimity goes down a bit, and then, and then the skillful means sometimes is to move away from it. Or, or to see if you can keep up a relationship with something neutral and go back and forth. And so I would say try, you know, if there is a little bit of confusion about what to do, I would say the most important thing to do is to move to something neutral, like an anchor that works for you, like the breath or sound, something that's neutral, and see if it's helping bring an, enough spaciousness of attention to let it, to let it be okay and to move through. <laughs> That's great, though. I mean, it's great to be aware of that. Right, if you can. Yeah, if you can... Not if you see that you're going back to an anchor out of aversion and you're not noticing it. Yeah, if you can be with the aversion, great. Yeah, aversion is very unpleasant. You know, this is what we miss that 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 aversion itself um, is so unpleasant that it's often difficult to see that that's making space for that is is hard. When when aversion is extreme, we feel the most separate from things. And that's why it's so painful. And attachment is similar. It's like when we feel attachment, we actually are creating a sense of duality that's so painful. Both of them are so painful because we feel the most separate. And anything we can do to, to, to not bypass that experience but go through it, usually it requires some ability to be aware of how unpleasant it is and that you can still let it through, like, a, like practice with sound that's unpleasant. The more you can allow sound that's unpleasant to pass through, then we stand a chance to actually allow the unpleasant and pleasant. And then if, if, you can't, if you can't stay with that, it's more to just know that making the choice to go to something neutral or even pleasant as, as a way to soften is okay. And it, it doesn't have to be so black and white and that my experience most of the time is that I'm doing with aversion a bit of all of it. It's like I might step back to something neutral, go back into it, go to the body, be aware of knowing. Sometimes just being aware of knowing the aversion creates the most space. You kind of settle back into an open open awareness, and that the aversion will feel smaller than that open awareness. There's a bigger space for it. Mm-hmm. That's okay, good. I'll, t- yeah. Right. <laughs> non-identification um, you know some people find it easier 
as an entry point to work with things with non-identification and often some people find the entry point to be acceptance. So just to know that, that um, often one or the other of those are easy for us to access. So if that's true, the more you get to know your own practice, I think the more you can see that one or the other of those is the way to start to work with things. You know, so it, um, for example, if acceptance is easier for you, then you would move toward that. And then as that acceptance sort of started to infuse your experience, then you would start to work with seeing if you could not take it so personally, not identify it as you or I or mine. You know, so for some people, for example, hearing that experience doesn't refer back to a separate I or me or mine, it, it's natural. It's like there's a, it, there's a feeling of, oh, yeah, yeah, and, and it's like there's an ease with it then that would be the place to go for that type of person with, with an experience that is, is not easy to be with. So, so I would just recommend you to kind of see that about yourself, that if you are the accepting types, don't try to push toward non-identification, but sort of let that acceptance seep in, and then see if you can get a sense, especially with the experience of sound, Usually we don't take sound uh, personally unless our stomach's gurgling in the hall, right? I mean, if our you know if we cough or if you know if our breath is, seems loud, you know, there's there's sometime an experience where we'll think our breath is the loudest sound in the universe, you know, and it's it's just amazing. But generally speaking, you know, if you have a sense of a car going by outside on Pleasant Street when you're sitting here you can get a sense of a, an awareness that's so big that allows that to move through, and it's, we're not taking it personally. That's non-identification. They can come to... Right. I would just be careful of it being a checklist and that you think all four have to be present. Um, a peak experience would, when they, would be when they are all four present. But it is a moment of, a real deep moment of mindfulness would include all of those. And I would say that if you've really felt that acceptance is there and interest and you still feel off in some way, I would say the offness would be the non-identification, yeah. And you can experiment with learning how to bring that in, for sure. This is practice. We just practice and practice and practice, you know, you know. How we would do that with non I just described it with sound. Say you're having rage and or anger, or, you know, whatever, loneliness. Usually we have some emotion that we are conditioned to deeply resist. It's where we deeply resist that the trouble is there. So, of course, acceptance, acceptance. But if, you, if you're feeling like it's still my loneliness or my knee pain, or, you know, that's when it's, when it's my thought or my aversion or whatever... It does help to kind of get that perspective of sound, something outside of your body, and start to to start to learn that relationship of that it's not me or mine or I, and then see if you can bring that type of relationship back to the experience that feels so tight, tightly identified with. The other key here is that it's usually when we're identifying a th- with a thought as me or I or mine that, that um, the identification is there. So we might not be so aware that we're thinking it's my knee pain or my neck pain or my anger, right? But there's usually some thought that triggers that. Mm-hmm. 
technically, if there's enough mindfulness, then you would just let the attention do what it does. You wouldn't pick and choose. If you're going with what is predominant, you know, it could be that the attention is actually moving from the body, you know, in the knee up to the up to the chest. There's a a, a physical sensation in the chest, and then maybe there's an, a, a mental state, and you know, a, a thought process, emotion. It might get called back to the knee. If it's that much happening, I would I would usually recommend again anchoring a bit with the breath, just to give you a perspective of neutrality within that. Um, the anchor is meant to help give us a perspective of neutrality. That's one of the purposes of it. But if you can, you know, Vipassana is going with what's predominant moment by moment. That's, that's the instruction. And when we need to anchor, you know, concentration or anchoring is the tool we use to stabilize the mind, rest the mind, so that we have enough um, balance to be with the flow of change. So go with it to the point where you can and then anchor. Go with it to the point you can anchor with it. Technically, you can't be with two things at once in one moment, but you, it, you can certainly flicker back and forth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oops. Okay. Great. <laughs> Great. I'm glad you figured that out. <laughs> uh huh. Well, it's a good example of I will do my best to to try to speak louder. I'm used to this mic, but sometimes depending on who's speaking, you know, I I will work harder at speaking louder. So thank you. And I think that that's um something I'd like to talk about in a talk sometime, but the how to work with anger is so interesting. You know, whether to believe the thought or not and when to take action or not and um how, you know just what is it what is it that's getting triggered that's out of perspective yeah and so you just dealt with it very well i mean you worked with it and that something was i mean if we're enraged um about something as a yogi um often it's helpful to maybe consider that we're getting triggered you know in here or you know because you know we d- we do usually get um, triggered on a retreat, and that, that, that's partly how we learn to work with anger. And we often feel it, you know, somebody can walk in late into the hall, and we can want to murder them. You know, no, really, like, it's just like we can, we can, there can be things that people do in the lunchroom or just anything. They might, you know, have the wrong pair of shoes, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. You start to see that it's really... Um, you know, this is a longer thing, and we'll talk about it over and over, but we tend to think that the unpleasant um, pain is outside of us. And we, we get all caught up in whatever's happening outside, but, but this practice, which is difficult, is partly learning how to bring our attention back inside and realize that the aversion is our problem, meaning that, you know, we need to work with it really deeply in terms of um, the source of the suffering in this world. And when you look at the wars on the planet over belief systems, I mean, just over a belief system, if you took everybody in this room and you took a poll of our belief systems, you could get a lot of anger at just the difference. You know, and I mean, we people kill. We actually, people kill each other out of aversion. You know, so so really, yeah, it's like this really important, what we're doing in this hall, we often forget, and out walking is getting at the roots of war within us, you know, and it it's just like, it, it is really difficult. It's difficult to be able to say, I'm going to sit here and work with this anger, 
even though it seems like she should talk louder, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, there is that, that and I, again, I, it's good to let me know. And it's important to be able to um, work with the aversion. It's great. And it's time to stop. Mm. Have a good day of practice in the sun. <laughs>
either just any kind of thought or about the emotion. Recognizing thinking, thinking, or angry thought or excited thought. But then if you just keep getting lost, bring your attention back to either sensations of breath or whole body to recollect, refocus, and steady the attention before opening again into the emotion. No emotions, that's also fine. Just being present for what shows up by itself. I know, I had that thought. Yeah, I know. I'm going to talk to maintenance. Yeah. Do look at it. <laughs> we do what we can, but this is samsara, you know. <laughs> it isn't perfect. <laughs> the suffering is... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I had the same thought, actually. See, now it's working. Any questions about, yeah. In the sitting, you mean you get nauseous? Both sitting and walking. Mm-hmm. You get, when you feel nauseated, do you feel like present and there's a lot going on? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's not uncommon. Um, sometimes it's almost like, you know, impermanence happening so fast we can feel a little bit nauseated. Does your mind get reactive or can you just notice it and keep going? <laughs> yeah. Feel like you're going to throw up. Feels like this. <laughs> I mean, two things. If you really feel like you're going to, if you're sitting, open your eyes. You know, take a deep breath, stand up. But notice the reaction of mind. That can all be done calmly or with equanimity, or it could be leading into fear or reactivity. Not bad or good, but noticing what the reaction of mind is. Same in the walking, right? So you're walking, things are moving fast, you feel nauseated, you can just... I'm serious, nauseated, feels like this. It's really strong, you stop, you open your eyes. But that can be done with, oh my God, what's going to happen? Or it can just be noticing. So including in the whole picture the reactions of mind, because that's the place, you know, that's just the place in that moment we get identified. But fine if you're just feeling like, oh, you know, (laughs) do open your eyes, stand up, stop walking, and then start again. But it's not an uncommon thing or a worrisome thing in the big picture. Okay? Is that... Probably. (laughs) All things do. (laughs) When it will pass is out of our control. (laughs) Do... Good. All that stuff is part of the practice. Noticing that, for sure. But like I said, before you get to the point of you really open your eyes. But I've spent, you know, weeks being nauseated walking. Never threw up. It's a thing that happens. But please do notice states of mind. That's really important in the practice, else we get stuck there. But, you know, if you're in the sitting, and you stand up, and your eyes are open, and you still feel like that, and you're just caught in what's going to happen, worry, and you really feel like you might get sick, just quietly leave the room. That's fine. You can do that. So you don't feel trapped, I'm saying. But usually it doesn't come to that, really. Yeah. Yeah, right there. Uh-huh. Do you notice them emotions happening? Uh-huh. Mhm. Mhm. Well, can you if Okay, can you give an example of an emotion just that you notice you have when you're having one? Just when you remember 
No, but give me an example of an emotion that you noticed you were having. Okay, so when you became aware of sorrow, you knew sorrow was happening somehow? How did you know that? You felt something in your gut, and you knew it was sorrow? Okay, okay. So that, in that moment, is how you're experiencing sorrow. Do you see what I mean? It's like, don't look too hard. You think something's there, like in this, say more. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay, good, good. That's fine. Stay with what you really notice. And so you feel that that's not uncommon to feel a sensation and have an intuitive sense or a thought maybe there's sorrow or some emotion behind it. But you don't really, you're not really aware of the emotion. So stay with the bare experience. That, okay, sensation. It's like this. I wonder if there's sorrow or what? Thinking. So include that think. Ah, oh, thinking. Wondering. Come back to this sensation and then just explore it. Oh, but where's the sorrow? Looking, you know. Come back to the sensation. And if there's an emotion associated, suddenly, oh, sorrow. Like when you said it, you felt it in your gut, you knew it was sorrow then. So thinking about isn't the same as being aware of an emotion or looking for. So it's more for you, I think, Trusting what you're really feeling. Don't look too hard, because looking too hard gets in the way. Plus, we have some idea of what we're looking for, which is usually wrong. So that gets in the way of noticing what's really happening. It is true that technically emotions, mental states are mental. It's really the third foundation of mindfulness. You know, chitta, state of mind, both awareness and the states of mind. And the way the Buddha described it was just knowing the mind with desire, knowing the mind when there's no desire, and noticing the, when the mind has concentration, noticing when it doesn't. So yes, emotions, mental states are mental, but that's sometimes for some people, it's so vague and nebulous, it's really hard to notice in the physical, it's what we notice more. For some people, this kind of, You'd know sorrow, but you couldn't find anything in your body that you could call sorrow, and that's also fine. So it's different for different people, different for the same person at different times. So stay, stay simple. Noticing what you're really noticing. Notice when you're wondering, but come back to what's actually happening and let it, let it flower by itself. I don't know if that helped at all. But you just said you could identify sorrow. See, that's an idea. That's an idea. It may be a true idea, but until you see the emotion, you don't know if that's true. You see what I mean? And so... We really get caught in our ideas, especially this one, it's a very common one, of particular difficult sensations are a block, and they're an emotional block, and we want that emotion because, by God, we want that sensation to move, you know? There's an emotion there. It's aversion. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's really exploring, and it can be very subtle. Aversion can be very subtle. So really trying to get very, very simple but very direct with what's actually happening. And our assumptions and expectations, the assumption could even be true, but we don't know. And so that's what mindfulness, bare attention, is being so radically free from concept that we bring our attention just in. It's like, this thing again, 17 years of practice, and I'm with this sensation again? Ah, okay. Dislike, expectation, thinking, 
sensation feels like this. It's the first time in this life, this mind moment, experience this sensation. It's not the same sensation from the last 17 years. It's not the same one for the next 17 years. There's only this moment. So it's really practicing that radical quality of mindfulness. And in that, if there is some emotion locked in there, at some point it'll come out, or the sensation will go away and you'll never find out anything about it. (laughs) That's also possible. (laughs) Just so you know, there's not always a great story in there. Sometimes there is. But it's really letting go of that wanting enough to just land in what's happening, not to get to something, just to be here. That's really, and it's hard. It's hard. We want some meaning. You know, it's hard. So, good luck. <laughs> okay, last, last one. Yeah. Grief and sorrow, are they a kind of aversion or desire and how to work with them? Technically, grief and sorrow are considered a type of aversion. It's like a pulling back from experience, how aversion is. When you ask for guidance to work with them other than how to be with them is pure emotion, what, what are you looking for? What seems to be the difficulty? Into the physical. Mm hmm. Uh huh. Stories and stuff, uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, but it's like grief and sorrow. Grief is a really strong, can be very long-lasting. I mean, it comes and goes. It's long-lasting but not steady state, and it's important to notice that. But yes, grief is, is a very powerful emotion at times, usually, but not always, associated with strong storylines. And so working with it in the meditation is very much, as you said, feeling it, feeling the physical sensations, Noticing the storylines, past, future, heaviness, oh, my life, forever, you know. Noticing, oh, that's a story. Not a judgment, just noticing. Come back to the physical experience, which is usually heavy and very unpleasant, and one doesn't really want to be there. So the mind bounces into the story, which is actually what keeps the emotion going, but, you know, it thinks it's getting away. Back and forth. When it's too much, and too much doesn't just mean we don't like it, But there's times with really strong emotions, and grief is one that it just sucks the attention down, that you're really as if drowning. Not just when it's first overwhelming, but really you're just spinning, and it seems like it's not mindful, but you just can't, you can't kind of be mindful of anything else. And then it might be helpful, skillful means to turn your attention elsewhere for a while. So that could be going outside and being with seeing and hearing and smelling. It could be just moving from your body in this story to hearing if you're in a sitting, or leaving the storyline completely, coming just to the breath, if you can do that, or just to the whole body. How long it takes, yeah, that's out of our control. It's really the same as what we were just talking about, you know. We have this agenda now. I've seen it. It's over, you know. But I find grief eventually moves past our particular grief to the grief of the world, and from there it can move into compassion, you know, the connection with all beings through sorrow, through grief. But for that, it really requires an opening into our own grief with great compassion. And that's that that moment of just surrender to it, with metta, you know, with compassion, just touching it with a caring attention, not to get rid of this damn thing, but just to be with it. And it you know, it comes and goes. It's not steady state. It takes great trust in the Dhamma, you know, to be with these things. And you'll have plenty of moments of that trust and then moments when the energy's not there and you need skillful means to 
find a way to balance awareness in another way. So patience. Okay, thank you. Have a lovely day. See, now it stopped again. I did nothing, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) It's not my fault. Settle back into the awareness of your body posture. The most basic meditation instruction is to sit and know you're sitting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.